0: welcome back to the daily thunder podcast i'm your host ryan was the thunder come back on the bulls from 22 points down to get a win i'm here joined by our guest daily thunder contributor ian ian how are you brother
1: man, my, my heart is still beating out of my chest a bit, but I'm, I'm good and I'm a bit conflicted, but I'm good.
0: Okay. Let's go ahead and get into that. These are, this has been a theme all year after wins. Uh, Take us through your, your confliction.
1: When we were down by 20 to the bulls, you know, it was something that I said, this stinks, but I'm okay with it. There's a purpose to it. And then, the resilience of this, this Thunder team, it's a resilience you don't really see with young teams, which one has something to deal with SGA and him being a lot of steps ahead in his growth as a star player in the league. And then two, I think it's a a great sign for this coaching staff that these players will play for Mike and they'll play for those guys on the staff and they listen and they're, they're responsive the resilience of this young team, and as they started climbing back into the game, I found myself like, man, we're in this, you know, quote-unquote attempted repositioning, retooling, rebuilding, whatever word Presty wants to use for mm-hmm. it. We're in this mode where we're supposed to be bad, mm-hmm. and yet we can't be bad. We're still an average NBA team, even though uh, ESPN said we had the worst roster in the league, even though on offense sometimes it just seems like it's SGA creating but still like these guys play hard and they play for each other and they play for their coach and they ended up coming back. And I was like, I kind of want them to win this game now. (laughs) And like, I don't want them to battle back from 20 down to lose the game. And so then I found myself like, shoot, let's beat them. Let's just win. Let's win this.
0: Yeah. I'm, I share a lot of those feelings. And when, when SGA that tonight was his new career high at 33 and when he hit that when he hit that career high mark, I was like, okay, let's go ahead and let's You're go right. ahead and see this finish off with a W because he he did have such an incredible game, such an efficient night. And take me through your emotions when you saw it. He went he hit he got a layup and then at the next play, another driving layup that forced a bulls timeout. And you saw a lot of emotion, a lot of swag come out of SG yeah. going back to the bench. Right the leadership and the kind of the emotional, I guess the soul of this team comes from this young star um, Mm -hmm. in
1: SGA. What did you, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Okay. So I might sound crazy here, but just hear me out. This is an effect of, I think the Chris Paul basketball Academy, right? Love it. So think about, remember when Chris Paul played for the Clippers and his backup was Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. And then, Everybody loved what Eric Bledsoe could do, and, and Phoenix bought into that, and they brought him in. And Eric Bledsoe had a, a few good years in Phoenix, and had a really competitive Suns team, even though it was just him and Goran Dragic there. I think a lot of what Chris Paul did last year has rubbed off on SGA, and you can see that with young players. What happens is they'll go 100 miles an hour the first three quarters, and by the fourth, they're gas. Mm-hmm. But with SGA the way he paces himself through the first, second, third. And then in the fourth quarter, he can take over for, for these four-minute stretches. And that's what makes these games competitive. It's that he has something that usually veterans in this league have in understanding how to pace yourself in an NBA game. Not every moment is a game game seven, but when you pace yourself, you can be there in the big moments. And you know, this isn't hating on Russell Westbrook at all, but that's something that, as Thunder fans, I think we all understood was it. I love how hard Russ plays, but I wish he knew how to pace himself and knew which moments to kind of flip it on and kind of take your, your, your foot off the gas and let someone else do it. But to see the SGA pick that up from Chris Paul last year and has been utilizing it this year. I mean, he played 43 minutes tonight. He had 33 points. He shot 68% from the floor and in the fourth quarter he had the biggest and one of the entire game yeah and like that just shows like someone that knows that not every moment you have to be going 100 miles an hour but sometimes it's smarter be going you know 60 miles an hour yeah so that when you do need to go 100 miles an hour you have something left in the tank and so i think it's a bit of that chris paul basketball academy that he picked up on those things
0: yeah i it's a great point and that the and one that you mentioned let's get into that so he he had pulled the ball out on a on a switch i think it was i think it was carter uh yeah, was. on him at that point so or or market and one of the two big so he he's out there right wing beyond the three point line and i'm thinking like they're down 3 and i'm thinking he's got to put it up and i Where? was waiting on the step back but his patience to to get in the lane get fouled and hang and his His hang time when he gets in the lane is such a weapon. He's, he's able to, to uh, get his shot off over just about anybody because he just lets them go by and he's still in the air. And, and he gets that and one. And I was just kind of, I was blown away by the athleticism, but more so by the maturity. Like you're saying, he's just, he's just a few steps ahead of where a normal 22, 23 year old player should be. He's so mature and, and a lot of that, I do think, has to do with how much he learned from a guy like Chris Paul. What he's learning from this coaching staff—they are developing him, developing him so well. And uh, I was just, I was just blown away by the patience, by the uh, the awareness, the the uh, the maturity that he showed on that last play.
1: Exactly. I, I think what's interesting on that drive, especially the end one. He had he had a couple tough drives and tough finishes in the game that I I was like, okay, wow, like that's an advanced move. But what I love to see is that he's driving to the rim and he's not afraid of the contact. And what I like to see in a player is just like how well do they take that contact going to the rim? Because that will translate to free throw attempts later in the season when the games slow down, when the games matter more. What you want to do is be able to get to the line. And SGA isn't afraid of the contact. He almost goes into it and he kind of relishes in it. And that's a bit of like James Harden in his game. And maybe he was inspired by that a bit when he was growing up. But just Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to look for the contact and I'm going to put you in a position where you either let me make this layup or you foul me.
0: Yeah. And it reminds me a bit of Paul George as well. He would get into the lane and kind of, kind of neutralize the big by just shoulder into his chest before right. he decides. And so uh, it's another really, really cool thing to see from Shea is he's doing a lot of that too. Like you're saying that James Harden uh, where he's just looking for that contact, he pursues it and, and once he gets the contact, then he get then he has a a number of different options that open up to him. Whereas they wouldn't all be there if he was just straight line drive, hundred miles an hour at the rim. He now has so many more options when when that he he can back. I mean, you've seen it. He can back some of those bigs down into the baseline. Right. Um, right. So it's a it's a weapon, and I'm so I'm so pumped about Shea on the flip side of going to the rim and, and finding success was Darius Baisley tonight. Could you read his uh, spot? Was it two of 12 for the game? It was
1: three of 12, one of three three from three. He was a minus 21 when he was. Yeah. I saw his,
0: I saw his plus minus number before we jumped on. And I was like, that seems right. Like he just, he just had a, had a really rough night going to the basket. And I'm curious to see where he goes from here. Like how he, how he counters, the fact that he's got a slow that that slow last step before he goes up into the air, and I think he's trying to avoid fouls, um, yeah. avoid the charge. They've the the officiating has been very tight on him in that jump stop. Um, so which it, it, a lot it, that of kind of
1: frustrates me because like yes. I see other players getting away with that yes quasi gather step. And Levine is Levine to, to be it.
0: specific. Levine exactly. got, he gets away with like it quite a bit. He did it like
1: three times today. And yeah. I'm like, so why is it you know, called when Baisley does the same exact thing? Yeah. And I think what it is, he might be thinking too much on the floor. And I read a report bu- before the game that he was questionable with, a I think it was an ankle or something yeah. with his leg. So yeah. that could have contributed to the rough game tonight. But I, he's like hesitating. And yes. that's when he had that good, week and a half stretch where he, you know, was scoring in double figures, grabbing double digit rebounds. He was playing free. And, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest thing for Basley with a guy with his size that can handle the ball the way that he does. Uh, he has to be playing free in order to find success. And so I think maybe he was thinking about the ankle. Maybe he was thinking about the, the travel calls. Maybe he was thinking about all of that stuff. I just want to see him get back to playing without a worry in the world, like you're open, just shoot the ball. Don't yeah. think about it too much.
0: And I think a lot of his, I mean, he was going, he was going past his guy initially, but once he's at the rim, he was typically seeing more than one guy. And I think a lot of what you're saying when he, when he's playing at his best is when he's catching that ball in the lane off the roll mm-hmm. as the screener. And now he's playing downhill against, one big and options in both corners. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to see some more of that because, I mean, he was benched at the end of the game and that obviously that could be some more of that, of that ankle. Um, but it it might have also just been there were better options to go with at the end of that game
1: tonight. So, so like Ken Rick Williams, man. exactly. the, the guys who exactly. so
0: go go we were talking about him a little bit before we before we hopped on.
1: Yeah, I mean, the guy plays with so much energy. I, I was joking before we we hopped on that. I'd run through a wall for him at this point. Like the yeah. way he sacrifices his body, the way he just finds himself in the right position at the right time. Coming into the season, I had minimal expectations for him. But then to see tonight, he's playing closing minutes in, in a game where you came back 22 down. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a step forward in anyone's book. And then to see that he went six for six with 14 points. And then he had that crucial, he drew a crucial charge at the end of the game. Like, like the guy finds himself, he finds a way to insert himself in every big moment. And more times than not this season, he's made a head, a headier smart play. And I like how hard he plays because you can coach, you can coach skill, you can teach someone how to shoot, but you can never teach someone how to play basketball hard as though their life depends on it. And that's just something that he has. It, I think it's kind of a trademark of a lot of the guys on the team like Lou Dort today. I mean, he played he played like it was it was game 7 against Houston all over again.
0: Yeah. And speaking of guys that I think the entire fan base is ready to run through a wall for it, that's Lou. He <laughs> like oh my gosh, like I would have never guessed. I thought his defense might take a a bit of a leap. And I say little, like emphasis on little. I didn't think he could play much better defense than we saw against Harden in the playoffs. Um but he's he's just as good, if not better, as a defender, and he's decided to hit almost half of his threes. Like what is going on?
1: I think one, it's the confidence aspect. and two, his mechanics do look smoother.' Don't uh, he, think he
0: looks so much better
1: exactly when I remember when he first started playing after he got called up from the Blue. And, you know, he had a bit of a hitch in his jump shot and, and slowly but surely you're seeing him kind of take that out of his jumper and it's becoming sort of, it was a three motion jump shot, but really it's like two motion now where he brings a ball up and he releases it at the apex of his jump and it, it just looks good and it's going in. And I think that he's really benefiting from seeing those shots go in. Yeah. And I think that maybe that game seven against Houston kind of propelled him into this year because that game he was hitting everything. And this year off of, I I wrote an article recently on Lou Dort and just how much of his open shots have opened up the rest of his games. Like teams are running him off the three point line at this point, when they close out, they are trying to run him off the line. He's attacking the top foot. And when he's driving, he's going into their body. It's it's, he's forcing either a foul or he's going to get his layup off. Now, He's he's finishing at a, a better rate than last year. The ball isn't careening off the glass. Would you like to see a bit more touch? Yes. And we've seen a bit of that. But just his confidence in his jump shot has forced teams to actually guard him out there. And it's really a breath of fresh air when you compare it to um, Andre Roberson on offense. Roberson was a defensive stopper, but he gave us nothing on offense. And Lou is a defensive stopper, they could give us 21 points on, you know, seven for 15 and four for 11 from three. And I'm, I'll take that from a guy that wasn't supposed to score be a score in this league.
0: Yeah. It's, it really is unbelievable that I keep, I keep going back to guys like Robertson and, and even Ferguson, like this is kind of what we always wanted to see. And Robertson did elevate to a defensive level that like, it really didn't matter. Like if the yeah. three went in or not, like this guy is the best perimeter defender in the league.
1: So who cares? But, it just um, sucked that he got hurt. Like to, really I did. really think that if he didn't get hurt, we would have we would have figured it out with Melo and Paul George that year.
0: I couldn't I couldn't agree more. There there was like a two week stretch before he got hurt that they were they were housing teams. Um, but yeah, Lou is he's I mean he got fouled shooting a three a couple of games ago like that should like a year ago a, a player would get benched immediately for the rest of the game for fouling Lou Dort shooting a three like it's You're right it's just not. Sound defense this year, it's warranted because he's an improved shooter. And one thing I'd noticed tonight and as in the last game as well, his free throw shot tells me everything I need to know about mm-hmm. how improved his his mechanics have become. He the ball the ball just like floats out of his hand instead of like right. charges out of his hands so, because yeah, used to be could, a rock, yeah. a lot of times he was throwing up shots that I thought they might have to replace the entire basket of <laughs> uh, it was some rocks. But yeah, I want to go to, um, this was Oklahoma City's first win at home, and if you recall, last December, Oklahoma City came back against the Bulls at home from 26 down. I want to go to what you saw from the Bulls at the end of that game. I want to start with the third quarter. Billy Donovan, our old friend, took a very mysterious timeout. Mm -hmm. They were up quite a bit. I, um, I don't know if it was 20 or maybe high teens at that point, but... Oklahoma city went on a 22 to five run after that timeout. Um, what, what did you see from Donovan, the decisions he made tonight and then down the stretch, how he coached a
1: team that was just reeling. So this has been my indictment on Donovan. Cause I think he's one heck of a basketball coach, um, but his adjustments history shows us. His adjustments come too little, too late. And, when your team is reeling the way that Chicago started reeling, when you saw the Thunder do a better effort of taking Zach Levine out of the game, make it more difficult for Kobe White. And it was kind of like Donovan ran out of things to go to on offense. And then on defense, there were just no adjustments. Like, And and that's the thing that frustrated me with Donovan for so many years is that for all the good that he does, it, when it comes down to it, you know, he's going to – stick with his guy or stick with what he's done because he believes in it and you mm-hmm. have to believe in your stuff but you also have to know when it's time to say okay let's look at this from a different angle yeah and that's really what I noticed was really just the lack of change like your team is getting getting blown out in the quarter and you don't seem to try to do anything to stop it you feel as though your team could just play out of it and with a team like the bulls the they have Zach Levine but he's in terms of a star in the league he's not going to be able to to completely mitigate a run like that I think that if you don't have a guy that's a top five player it's really hard for your team to play through a run like the thunder went on it's it's Mm -hmm. extremely hard especially Mm -hmm. when your point guards as young as Kobe White and just the especially at the end of the game that was it just got ugly because in my mind how do you not give Zach Levine more touches at the Mm -hmm. end of that game how do you not make sure that he gets the ball uh, I'm sorry I like Laurie Markkinen as a player, but I'm taking Zach Levine isoing over a Kobe White, Laurie Markkinen pick-and-roll any day of the week. And
0: it was interesting to me that they have options. They are a yeah. they are a talented offensive team. Carter Wendell Carter's a good player. Um, Markkinen is a good player. Kobe White can get super hot. We've seen that. Uh, mm-hmm. In that same arena, L- Levine was a flamethrower in the first half and into the third quarter. I thought Dort was exceptional on him in the second half and fighting over screens, forcing forcing uh, turnovers through. moving He made screens. him so
1: uncomfortable, and you could yeah. visibly see he was just getting frustrated. Yeah, and, and there was a couple a couple possessions
0: late in the game where he, Levine didn't even move from the corner. Like he was, yeah. it was like he punted on the possession altogether. That's where I was waiting to see uh Donovan go to something more of a pet play to get one of those bigs closer like to that
1: one play you know you have in your back pocket that can yeah. get someone going. Right. Yeah. But that's Donovan at the same time. Like it goes back to the adjustment thing. Like he believes he believes in his players. He believes in his freelance sets but his out of timeout stuff, his out of out of bounds stuff, it won't be in the same tier as the Brad Stevens of the world that you know, Brad Stevens out of a timeout will get you a bucket Mm -hmm. just by his sheer play design. I don't think that's Donovan. I think he's more of a, let me trust my guys to be able to create a bucket for themselves. And that's why coaching in this league is so important because when your team is getting thrashed, when your team is getting blown out in a quarter and when they've taken away what you do to get momentum going, you need to have a set that you know you can go to that will result in your star player getting the matchup he wants and so that he'll be able to get to the spot on the floor he wants to get to to get his shot off.
0: Yeah. Where where are you with Poku?
1: I, I'm, it's a mixed bag for me. It's, it's a real mixed bag. He's very raw, yes, but at the same time, uh, you can find my – I don't want to be hypocritical now that I'm on the podcast, but at the same time, I've vented some frustrations on Twitter in the fact that yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't see it. I think that maybe ten years down the line he can be something, but I don't see the right now that made um, Preston want to take him in the first first round. I feel that he's he's really a G League guy right now, mm-hmm. and, and yes, he has he's shown some flashes with his passing. He's the the shooting. The form looks good. Maybe it's a confidence thing um but the nba the nba game is is fast and the decision making is fast and i don't like at times how he holds the ball like he doesn't know what to do with it and mm-hmm. so it's like you get the ball it's it's like what greg popovich used to say like you need to decide what you're going to do within a second are you going to shoot are you going to drive or are you going to pass like just yep. figure it out and do that and i think that he's still trying to work through the mental aspect of the game and so I don't see it. Maybe. I, I hope I'm wrong because, you know, that's the 17th pick. I hope that he turns into a role player. Um, but I don't know if he he's a foundational guy going forward. Um, he did hit a big three today, which I will say, like, I'll give him credit for that. Um, he missed the next three that he took. But mm-hmm. you see, nonetheless, he still hit a big three. He was one for four, uh, a minus minus 17 with five points. But maybe he puts it together again. It's still early in the year, so I I don't want to write off a guy's entire career, but I just, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. no, no, no. I hear what you're saying. And it's, I I share a lot of those. I I haven't, I haven't seen it either. Um, Mm -hmm. the shooting, the shooting, obviously there at times it looks really good at times. It's like, okay, I see, you know, what, where he's projected to be an elite shooter. Um, but the, I've never seen a guy so physically, behind like this is he's and to be fair to him this is a very unique team for him to be drafted to in the first round like a team that is more than happy to play a guy that's not ready um so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do with with his minutes do they stay at around that 20 minute mark are they gonna lessen them as the season goes on are they gonna increase them is he gonna play more with starters as the season goes on that's what I'm kind of watching with Poku. Cause he, he is getting his feet underneath him, but even still, like he's just so frail and, and that's exactly. going to, that's going to change you would, uh, you would assume over time. He's only 18 years. He's the youngest guy in the entire league. He's in three to four years when this team is uh, projecting to be uh, a much different looking team. I would imagine he'll be, he'll look different as well. And, you
1: almost wish he was a draft and stash type of guy, like a guy that's coming over in like two. And or I think three he,
0: years. I think he would be in any other situation. Had Oklahoma City taken him three years ago, we probably wouldn't see a single second of him. Even maybe right. even with the blue um, right. this year. So it's a very unique situation he's in, and and I think it's uh, in the long run it's going to be to his benefit that he's already getting out there and seeing what it's like and what it's going to take for him to uh get to that get to the level that it's going to take for him to contribute to this team long term.
1: I hopefully you know, 18 I think about myself when I was 18 and just how much my body changes from 18 to now 21. Yeah. And like that those 3 years they're big a big 3 years in terms of just how much your body can change and I'm not working out at, at an NBA regiment so it's like I don't think that he can't it'll just it, it'll take patience and our, I'm not the most patient guy. So <laughs> I, maybe it's something I need to work on, but <laughs> obviously I trust Presti. Presti has been decent in talent evaluation. I mean, so I trust that his eyes see something that maybe our untrained eyes don't see just yet. Yeah. Um, but I, I read this article on the Oklahoman, um, talking just about the way Presti goes into scouting, um, and just his his ability to describe players' um, play styles and and what he looks for, and obviously we all have the we all know the jokes. He loves his athletic wings that can't mm-hmm. shoot, but but Presty's a real talent evaluator, and and his track record proves that. Like outside of just the big three that we know, like think about the Reggie Jacksons of the world that he found that that are still in the league today, you yeah. know. And so I don't think that. Um, I don't think that it's a miss and you can't label it a miss We're we're barely even into the season. Um, and so maybe this will turn out into being something, a guy that I do love um, is tail Maladon though. Like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand how he plays with such patience. I, mm-hmm. I've never seen a rookie that's in such of an, he's not in a rush ever. And yep. I love it. Like, he comes into the game and it's like he's a three-year, four-year veteran at this point. Like, the, the you can't speed him up. He's gonna do what he's gonna do. He'll he'll hit the open jump shot. He he can play well in the pick and roll. He makes great decisions. And today, I mean, he had ten points on four for eight shooting, two for five from three. Just, I think that goes to show that like Presty knows how to evaluate talent.
0: Hundred percent, and I I'm really hoping for more Maladon minutes with. Uh, with Shea because I think those two can play together. And I think it really elevates Teo's uh, contributions when he's out mm-hmm. there with Shea. Um, Want to shout out Isaiah Roby. No idea uh, again, where this is coming from from him. He's, he looks so good. Uh, he's six foot eight. He passes for a six foot ten, six foot 11 guy. He plays so much bigger and, and wider uh, on defense than, than his, than his frame, um, and he's a really solid shooter. I don't know if the numbers exactly bear out how smooth of a shooter he looks, but uh, and maybe that's just the benefit of the doubt on you watching bigs for Oklahoma City not be able to shoot the ball throughout the years. But he's such a smooth shooter, and at six eight, it makes me wonder like if they were to go with a big, like a more of a long term big, could he play? The four, or even the three. Am I crazy to think that he could play
1: uh, the four? I think you got to look at the way that the NBA is going, and that for the and this was something I wrote about over the summer when before the Stephen Adams trade went down. I wrote a piece about just the Thunder need to modernize its front court, and mm-hmm. then you look at Darius Baisley and a guy like Roby, and those are two modern front court players where you're like what exact position do you play on the floor like you can guard bigger you can shoot you can get out in transition you can run and you know you're not a liability on offense and I think that you're exactly right that he is finally a modernized forward or or big in today's game that is playing for the thunder that he you know he's not going to be ran off the floor in a a seven game series right and then I think that when time, when the time comes three years down the line when this team is playing meaningful basketball again, that he's a guy that I'd like to have out there. I think yeah. that he's a guy that we should at least keep around for a little bit in terms of, like you said, he plays so much bigger than he is. Um, and he's not exactly a quick twitch guy, but he's fluid with his movements. And, and like you said, his jumper looks good. It looks really good, actually. And he shot thirty three percent from three today, but it was on, it was on three attempts. And so it's yeah. like, I wonder what that would be. Maybe if he got that up to five or six a game, mm-hmm. if he once he gets confident enough in his outside jumper, because he's really the first modern front court player from front front court player that the, the Thunder have seen in a while.
0: Yeah. And maybe I would imagine if we sat in front of Presti and I said, is he a five? Is he a four? Is like, what is he? I think he would just say, that's the point. Like (laughs) that's that's your answer. Like the, the versatility and the positionless nature of this team right now is brand new. Like we can go back down the line of uh, throughout the years with this team and, and, easily specify exactly what position every front court player played and and their limitations to move, mm-hmm. to move out those so the fact that we're seeing basley Baisley could play the five if they wanted they could run lineups with him and four guards they could run roby and four guards they can run Baisley and roby together they can run horford like these are really interesting lineups and really interesting players that are allowing uh coach dagnall to have really
1: really fun options right now Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, The one that I would be that I'm iffy on is is Big Al. I I love the veteran. I love him as a guy. All every story I've read about him, he he's amazing as a teammate. Um, I'd want to see him on a contender. Just his his timeline doesn't fit this team, so I wonder if maybe there's a contender out there that's going to be in the buying market. And then I saw what happened with. Brooklyn and them trading for Harden right they got rid of Jared Allen and they just have DeAndre Jordan now I, do are the pieces there because they're going to need a backup big like you're you you can not play DeAndre Jordan for for 48 minutes in the playoffs and right. Al Horford is a big that stretches the floor that's something DeAndre Jordan can't do could they be in play for for Al Horford at the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, you say they're going to need a backup big. They might need a starting big. Like DeAndre Jordan <laughs> is DeAndre Jordan is not good. He got benched a couple nights ago um, for in favor of a guy that they ended up trading away. He's he's certainly not the answer. And I I would imagine they'll I you make a great point. Al Horford is a would be a huge upgrade for them especially on the defensive end and a, which they
1: perfect fit to go yeah. along with what they they want to do in Brooklyn and that space of floor you got Kevin Durant Kyrie and Harden with Joe Harris and then Al Horford that's that's five guys that can hit an outside jump shot
0: that's such a money lineup and I don't know what the speaking of money I don't know what it would take for the money to work because Al does make quite a bit of money Um right. so do those others. that starting lineup would be incredibly expensive but uh, they they doubled down on offense, trading for Harden, and they're just going to be so bad defensively until they address it. So um, Horford would do some of that, and so uh, that's a that's an interesting to, thing to look out for. I do agree with you. Obviously, he's not on their timeline, and I think they're trying to play him into great value for mm-hmm. uh, for another team. They're kind of showcasing him before the deadline. But
1: do you think the same thing happens with George Hill?
0: Yeah, same thing with George Hill. Like there's a couple teams and the team I keep coming back to for George Hill is the Clippers. But I, but then I, I remember like we have everything that the Clippers (laughs) have to would have to offer. And I don't think, I don't think Presti is in in the uh, business of making that team any better um, Mm -hmm. right now because we have so much of their, of their uh, future draft picks. So, uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, name a team, George Hill can help that team. Like he's just that, he's that type of player. He's translatable in just about any lineup. You see them playing George Hill on and off the ball in Oklahoma city. So I, it's obviously something he can do. It's something he's done in Milwaukee, something he's done in Indiana. So I would imagine that some team is going to come calling for George Hill. And it's just going to be a matter of time before this team is completely, you know, thunder university.
1: Yeah. I'm excited for that day, honestly, because Again, we're kind of in that mold of i don't necessarily think we're a bad team, you know, like everybody said that our roster's terrible, but it's like s g a and and heck Mike muscala today they weren't yeah. gonna let us lose yeah you know? and yeah, and so it, it it puts the team in an interesting situation and I saw a tweet going around with other thunder fans recently the last day or so that said, you know the thunder in an interesting position because Everyone wants to embrace the tank, yet we seem competitive enough to stay in these games. Do you throw away a playoff tradition or at least playing for a playoff in order to get a higher draft pick when you have so many draft picks already? And with the sheer amount of draft picks that you have, one is bound to hit.
0: Yeah, it's a. that's going to be... That's going to be the question, you know, like, do they have enough? If they like a player at the top of this draft, do they just cash in a lot of these future Kate picks to, to trade up? Like to answer your question, is it worth throwing away playoff tradition for a higher draft pick? If you're asking me, it's 100%. Yes. The, the top <laughs> of this, the top of this draft is, is so incredible. Mainly Kate Cunningham, and Jalen Suggs are two guards that I don't know if you, they're different. Kate is so Kate is enormous. He's six foot eight and does everything. Suggs is six, four, six, three, six, four also does everything just at a little lower to the ground. I can't imagine Presti trying to come up with two guards. He would rather play with Shay than those right. two guys. So the, and and there's a lot more, really high quality talent at the top of this uh, top of this draft. So um, yeah, I do think they should be gunning for a top five pick. We
1: better play some catch up because I know the Timberwolves look like they want to beat us there.
0: (laughs) The Timber, like uh, Detroit, I mean, tonight was the Oklahoma city's sixth win. Um, And I don't know if Detroit, Detroit might not get to six wins for another month. Like they, they are really behind when it comes to getting to that,
1: Talk about bottom. distressed assets. I mean, Blake Griffin doesn't yeah. look like he wants to play basketball anymore yeah. up there in Detroit.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's. I mean, he and along with like sixteen other power forwards up there are uh, looking around <laughs> like, what's going on? I want to finish with your thoughts on the top of the draft and what you think Oklahoma City's best path forward is.
1: I, I said it at the start. I, I say. I say it now. I have this real love affair with Kate Cunningham, not just because of you know the hype around him, but the guy. The when you watch him play, for one, he he passes every aspect of the eye test. So the entertainment value is there, and entertainment value brings ticket sales, and small market teams need those ticket sales. And then, two, he's not afraid of any moment, and and I I love that that I'm not afraid. The players that say I'm not afraid of anything like you can you can throw two three guys at me and I know the right decision to make and I was Mm -hmm. just today before the Thunder game I was actually watching this Kate Cunningham like hype highlight reel for Mm -hmm. his last like month and I was just I was enamored you know you can fall into like the highlight reel syndrome or whatever yeah but I just think the guys are going to be a real NBA guy. And if I'm going to hitch my wagon to anyone in this draft class, it's going to be him and I'll go down with the ship. If it doesn't turn out that he's a real NBA guy.
0: Yeah. And it feels like he's from everything I've read and listened to it, it. feels even we're now like a month, month or so into the college basketball season, maybe a little more, but he feels like the consensus number one pick at this point. Like if the draft mm-hmm. was held tomorrow, I think you would go one without much um, hesitation. So for Oklahoma city, the best thing they can do, even if they don't get all the way up to one, uh, is getting somewhere in that top 10 is, I mean, as good as they can get that draft pick, the better um, because if they are in a position where they want to trade up, the better their pick is, their, the better their own pick is this year, the the easier that's going to be. And uh, I still don't know if any team would trade out of that one spot, given how good Cade is. Uh, yeah. I, I want to know if what there's a team that has is. the assets. If there's a team that has the assets to do it, it's Oklahoma City.
1: Right. I want to know your opinion on Josh Christopher because he seems to be this guy that is a bit. People are, are torn on him. I used to, I used to love Josh Christopher when he played at Mayfair in high school. I watched like all his games on the, the ball is life and all wow. that. And he's, he gives me a lot of, and it's not just because he went to Arizona state, but he gives me a lot of James Harden vibes in his game. And that he, it's a, a lot of that stop and go. He, he relishes the contact. And also he, he likes the crowd. He plays up to the moment. Yeah. Um, and then I read this article, talking about um, him and just how he wants to build his brand. And that sort of turned me off to him when, when guys feel that they're bigger than basketball and that like all they, they seem like they're playing basketball for a brand. I understand that basketball is very much a business, but the guys that succeed in this league, oftentimes are the guys that are like, you know, I care about basketball and everything else comes second. Mm-hmm. And so for a moment that turned me off to him, but then seeing, He's had some good games and some bad games at Arizona State, but then I think to, at the potential and if you figure out his jump shot and he's this guy that again is never in a rush. And so I want to know: Do you have any thoughts on him as a player? I, have I've seen any first, of him
0: this season? Yeah, I watched the first couple games and then a couple um, a couple highlights since. But and he started off so well; those first couple games, I was like, "Wow, this guy can shoot." Um, I, I I'm a big fan of tankathon.com and they've got a running uh running like first round mock and he was like in the like late teens early 20s to start and then after those two games he was all the way up to like number 10 and i was like Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense with what i saw like i can't imagine that guy not going in the top like 10 to 12 and i haven't been watching him since then but i have been watching that that first round mock pretty regularly and he's fallen down to like mid twenties now lower than right. he was to start the year. So I'm, I was, I was curious, like what's going on with Josh Christopher. Cause he, he was like, he showed so much in those first couple games. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was one of those that was really excited about his like mid to late lottery potential, maybe even higher, but, um, like you're saying, he must have had some some games where he really struggled.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at um the NBA draft dot net right now. In the latest mock, they have um one, the Thunder at seven, and two, they take six nine Greg Brown out of Texas. And I'm not sure about that one. I haven't seen much of him. He is um, a he is a freak athlete. Like probably I, I the best athlete in the in the class. The, Texas has been getting a lot of freak athlete bakes. Like I think yeah. about like Jackson Hayes and Mo yeah. Bamba. It and, seems like that's and, uh, kind of the the tra- culture they're trying to build there. And bam, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're and it's, so. And where
0: do they have Christopher on, on that?
1: They have him now. Oh wow, they have him mid lottery going to Golden State. Okay, um, at fourteen. Yeah, there
0: you go. So I mean, he's he's definitely got the skill set that that I think NBA teams are really valuing like he's he's got good size he's really quick laterally and the jump shot is there enough for guys to to respect his offense I I really like him there's a couple guys like in that mold that I like a bit more um mm-hmm. Moses Moody being one of them I really yep. like that shooting guard from UConn uh book Knight, James book Knight. um really like uh, his, his, he had like a 40 point night a couple weeks ago. Um, he can really, mm-hmm. really score, but yeah. What are
1: your thoughts on BJ Boston?
0: I have not watched a single Kentucky game, to be honest. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen, I've, and it sounds like I haven't been missing much, but I do, I have read that I, I have read that, that people like BJ Boston.
1: Yeah. I, I watched a couple and then I just couldn't stomach it anymore, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he did come off the screen for me. And that's a big thing that I look for a lot in these college guys is that you can tell who's going to be an NBA guy with just the way the pace that they play at at the college level. And they do jump off the screen to you in terms of, wow, that guy just plays at a quicker pace than a lot of these other guys. Yeah. And he was one of those guys. So I think, I don't know whether his game translates seamlessly to the pros, but he's another guy that. I'd look, I'd, cause I mean, he's six, seven and at the off guard spot, that's good size. And so I think that's a possible Avenue. Um, With the way this Thunder team keeps winning, I think that we're probably going to end up picking mid to late lottery. So yeah,
0: I think it'll uh, be right now. I would say like seven, somewhere between like that seven and eight spot and maybe like 11 and 12. And that like, if I'm being honest, that's that I would call that a disappointment given how much movement Presty made in the offseason. I I have mentioned this to Brandon on an earlier podcast. He's got to be sitting in his office like I thought I did enough for <laughs> yeah. I did I thought we avoided this. Um, but Shay's Shay's just awesome. And sometimes like you have awesome players and they do awesome stuff like they did tonight, and you win games. But um, but yeah, it's gonna be gonna be very fun to watch this team try and get back down uh you know into that maybe try closer to that top five range yeah
1: I, I wonder what else Presti will try to pull out of his bag of tricks yes. I don't know what you can do because maybe I mean, this maybe year we, it's not even the veterans like it's not the yeah. veterans leading the way
0: yeah maybe they have to maybe there's some things that they'd like to go check out maybe they scope Shay's knee with a month and a half to go like (laughs) I really feel like nothing is off limits at this point um when it comes to late in the season like ways to
1: ways to make this team a little more tank worthy it'll be interesting to see but for now my heart will remain conflicted and (laughs) I will cheer for losses and relish in the wins
0: there you go that that is that is the the bow on top of a night where they come back from 22 to beat the Bulls They are back at it on Sunday, Sunday at seven. They host the 76ers. They've already announced Joel Embiid will not be on this road trip. So you will not see Embiid on Sunday against the Thunder, Um, but a very talented team at nine and four um, coming to Oklahoma city. Ian, thank you so much for joining us, man. Really appreciate, appreciate having you on. It's always fun. I uh, I I I'm always here to talk basketball with y'all. Yes sir. Thunder fans, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you soon. Have a good one.